It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! Welcome, everybody. This is Ears Up Podcast. Coming at you from a hot Oakley day. But, you know, we have beer and uh, air conditioning. I guess we're fine, right, Bev? What's that? Sorry, I, I unmuted you. We good. We're, we're good. We we're good. good. All right. We have a good show for you guys today, as always. And I say both of those things all the time, but I always mean them. I always mean them. Brian Shar. Our, uh, our, our, actually, our, our friend, he's friends with everybody here in the room. I'm actually your friend. It's You're crazy. actually my friend, yeah. Um, I was going to say close personal friend. I was like, well, I could just say friend, and that seems more genuine. <laughs> I'm on a genuine kick. Terrence isn't here today. Um, and so I'm trying to be genuine with Terrence, and then I just, I'm not being genuine. You did a really good job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Brian Shar is here, and we're going to discuss Disney patents. We're going to go through a little bit about what actually a patent is, because even though I have one for Cubbeers, go to getcubbeers.com. I don't really know, especially in the realm of what it means in relation to Disney. You know what I mean? Because they have so many different arms and so many different things they can have patents for. Um, But I think what you're going to do, Brian, is you're going to take us through some of the patents for some of the rides even. Um, go through all that kind of stuff. And I was looking through your outline. I'm fascinated. I'm really excited about it. We've mentioned, we've touched on patents a couple of times here and there, like in the news or maybe history of the ride stuff. Um, but I think, in like you said in, in your outline, I, w- what I think it's going to do is going to enrich everybody's experience a little bit more, I think, when you go to the parks and you say, hey, you ride the Matterhorn. You know, that's kind of the more famous one where it's like the first like tube and track thing or whatever it is. Um, we're going to get into some of that finite detail. This is the nerd show. Well, I'm a nerd, so that actually <laughs> works out really well. I'm excited for that. So, yeah, I think this will be a lot of fun. For, Me too. I, I'll try to stay out of the weeds about the details and just kind of focus on the cool aspects of some of the early animation technology, the Disneyland technology. Just some things that people may not know about. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be a really good show. And, and for all you people who are like, all they do is talk, and they don't really get to the point, and they just, they're just friends talking, uh, this, is, this show's for you. This show's for people like that. Right, Beverly? Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like everyone's super low. Did you turn my headphones down by chance? <laughs> Probably. Turn my headphones up. Uh, what? I can't. Uh, it's too loud now. Uh, turn them down. Turn my headphones. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah, it's great. You did great. Thank you I, very much. Obviously. Does it go to 11? <laughs> well, that's the question. The underlying question that we will always uh, ask. Yeah, Terrence has some family stuff going on. He might call in later. We're going to find out. Uh, but more importantly, um, we are, for you Patreon people who are listening live who haven't yet looked at your email or looked at our Facebook page post thing, we are trying for the first time, Beverly, the very first time. The very first time? The very first time. First time in forever? Is that a song? Is that a Disney thing? Is that a Disney reference? For, for the, the first, first time in forever. forever. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Brian, I have an 11 year old daughter. (laughs) Hi, Ruth. (laughs) Um, We are going to be live streaming the secret show after this. Oh, snap. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Why are we doing that? Because I think it'll be cool. I want to add some depth and some like value to that. I want to I want to overvalue five bucks. I don't know why. How do we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, first of all, yes. But secondly, how are we? 
doing that to, ju- to just. So if you are a Patreon supporter at the $5 level or more, go to the Patreon page and there's a post just for you that gives you the URL for YouTube. And it has a chat room, so y'all can chat with each other. You can chat with us. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun. Actually, I think this is a great idea. I think it's pretty cool, I mean, too, right? as far as your ideas go, this is a good, finally, yeah. a good one. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, before we uh, address the uh, the neg that Beverly just gave me. It's no matter corn. <laughs> but it's pretty good. Man, I'm telling you, someone will draw the matter corn, and we will put it on a t-shirt, and I will buy it, and I'll give it to Sam. This episode, of course, is sponsored by Getaway Today. Get Disney's top wholesale partner. They'll help you plan your Disney vacation with the best tips and secrets, all while making it affordable with their discounted tickets, reduced hotel rates, and layaway plan that lets you pay as you go. Head online to getawaytoday.com slash ears up and start planning your magical vacation. Don't forget to mention Ears Up Podcast sent you and use promo code ears up to save an extra $10 on your Southern California vacation package i do want to bring this up real fast um i was going to do it in the news but it, you know it's pretty relevant now so i get emails um from the people at uh, getaway today and here's a good one they have a sale going on check this out you can get a four-day park hopper for the gate price of a three-day park hopper so what i think that means is it's park hopper upgrade so if you're going for four days right, we talked about this yeah, I think that's it took pretty. Took me a while to get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing deal. I think that's pretty cool, and it's valid. Uh, tr- uh, you've purchased by June 26th, so soon. Uh, valid th- uh, for travel through December 31st, 2018. Uh, you can purchase it separately or as part of a package. Uh, anyway, if you have any questions, just email them or whatever. But go to getawaytoday.com/slash/yearsup, and they'll give you all the details on that. I think that's pretty cool, and it's just one of the things that they can do because they are they are the only place that we've ever found online. To get discounted Disney tickets. I mean, I feel like they actually are the only place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so too. We're going in November, hopefully. Oh, so we are too. Is, really? Yeah. In November. Oh crap! I forgot. Probably around the thirteenth. Thir- uh, we we our last day is the eighth. Okay, we'll probably just uh, not overlap. But you'll this be there is with Terrence. Oh, cool. This is how effective advertising is mm-hmm. because I heard you say that, and now I'm going to go look at that when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I would appreciate it. Um, speaking of looking at things, you can find us on social media, of course Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Any feedback on the show goes to Taryn at earsup podcast.com. Any show suggestions or guest suggestions or, uh, I don't know, crude drawings of of anything goes to Terrence at earsup-podcast.com. You can say hi, hi. to Beverly at Bev hi. at earsup-podcast.com. And anything else comes to me at Jason at blah, 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 blah. If you want to support the show, and why wouldn't you, go to getcoveyers.com and buy a pair of coveyers. Actually, we have an order today for the We Wants the Churros. So the shirt that I'm wearing right now, shirt that I'm wearing, the new shirt, uh, I threw it on a pair of coveyers, and uh, people seem to like them. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, really? So, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you can go to Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash ears up. You can tell your friends about us. That's really the best way. Well, <clears throat> let me backtrack. Patreon is the best way. Be a Patreon supporter. Give us money. Uh, but tell your friends about us. Get on forums. Uh, spread the word. Share our posts. Do all that kind of stuff because it really... It really helps us get those uh, subscriptions, get people subscribed to us, and rate us on iTunes and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, Okay, Taryn, do you have any feedback? I do. Please go ahead. Um, This is a follow-up. Mackenzie on our last show wrote in and asked us all for... Uh, help with her surprise trip, sort of, sort of a surprise trip uh, for one day, and it was yeah. six people. And what does she do? Um, 
We gave her all sorts of, all I, I think, semi-conflicting advice. Sort of. I think the general, it, it, what it all came down to was don't stress. I think one yeah. thing that we all said was it's summer. You're going for one day on a Saturday. Try not to stress out. Exactly. <laughs> like that was the kind of the core. So, and, and if I remember correctly, I apologize. It was it was uh, a Saturday in June, mm-hmm. and we were kind of all mocking her, Brian, for like going f- uh, on a, on a, a summer weekend <laughs> date. It, it, we're like, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be crowded. So why don't you just chill out and realize that you're probably not going to get to do but three or four rides. So yeah. don't worry about it. I used to live in Los Angeles back in the day. And in the 90s, it was impossible to move. I mean, you literally couldn't move at Disneyland <laughs> on yeah. a Saturday. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like today. And right. my only advice would have been just don't even bother showing up till 10 p.m. Because <laughs> it'll be open till midnight. And that's... All the little kids have gone to sleep. Yeah. It's cooler. You'll ride more rides between 10 p.m. and 12 p.m. No kidding. At least that was the way in the yeah, 90s. You'll ride sure. more between 10 and 12 than you'll ride between 10 a.m. and oh, 10 p.m. Oh, absolutely. Because all, all the kids have gone to sleep. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, and so Mackenzie followed up. She did. With our advice. So uh, what did she have to say? Hey, everyone. Hey. So we got back yesterday, and I just listened to the Opinions podcast. Uh, for one thing, I am not 21, so we couldn't go get drinks. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I had a feeling. We said that. We were like, she's not even 21. <laughs> what you eating, Bev? Some cheese. I was starving. <laughs> I was like, what, oh my God, I need to eat cheese? something. Uh, Swiss. <laughs> okay, for one thing, I'm not 21, so we couldn't get drinks. <laughs> That was water. Cracking, cracking, cracking a cold one. Cracking cold ones with the boys. Let's cold. go. That was water. <laughs> All cans only. Oh, man. Um, so she couldn't Sorry. go get drinks, but uh, we did check out the line to Carthay, and it was huge. For I this, bet. For I the, called that, by the way. Yeah. Not that I'm some genius, but I was like, I didn't bet you anything that line for Carthay is going to be massive. And probably not worth it, honestly. But uh, Hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's slow down, Taryn. Is there another can I can crack? <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid point. Yeah. Uh, for the second thing, for a Saturday in June, we did everything. We only went what? on. Uh, we only went on two lines without fast passes. Wow, that's great. Wow. So luckily, no Pixar Pier, so no one was in DCA. It made it pretty easy to get around. Mm-hmm. Also, for a day in June, it was overcast and cold, so we avoided the heat. Oh my god! I don't know how she got so lucky. Yeah. Um, wow. that, that's like that's like tant- tantamount to the the day where you go and it's raining. Yeah. In like September where it's still kind of warm rain, but it's not that bad. And it's just like you, you get a free, it's like a free, it's a free day. It's yeah. almost like it doesn't even count as like an actual You Disney actually, day. I think, get so much more for your money on a day like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Unless you buy the poncho. <laughs> Unless you, you buy, buy the poncho, right. a three pack of ponchos that it's you don't It's miserable, use. but it's fun. Yeah. yeah. I actually kind of, well, it's, it's a little bit miserable. Um uh, Disney was super crowded, uh, yeah. but because we were so specific about our fast passes and what times we would eat, we managed to get around all the main crowds. Mm. Single rider for Matterhorn and for Space Mountain moved so fast, we could walk off and walk right back on. Holy so, crap. So thank you for the single rider info. Yeah, you're welcome. That's the way to go, man. That's the way to go. Don't worry about riding in cars with your friends. It doesn't matter. You all ride the ride and you'll get back with your group in two minutes or less. It's and fine. And you'll have the same conversation. You'll have... That was amazing. Is if you if had ridden all together. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that right. Aren't you scared that you're going to hit your head, your hands on the? Th- it's just you know that's <laughs> what you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Something we didn't expect, but ended up helping us out, is that uh, six. What? You're right. No, I just don't understand 
what she's probably a typo. Say. Just yeah, just plow through. Um, it. Six is the magic number. Is, got it. Six is the magic number for most of the rides. I feel because, like we were just on Wheel of Fortune. For like, <laughs> uh, I want to solve, please. <laughs> it was seriously. Um, well, my brain is only half working anyway, so yeah. um, it's cool. <laughs> so most of the rides, because most cars fit all of us. Oh, that's really cool. Mm. Um, because four out of the six of us have birthdays within the same week. We got birthday buttons. Nice. And it was probably my favorite part because every cast member we would pass would wish us all a happy birthday. And someone would be far away, but would still see the button and just yell happy birthday at you. I love that. Uh, you too. In all, I think we just got super lucky. We got a super lucky day with weather. Um, and even though I would have loved to see Pixar Pier, uh, it not being open made our lives way easier in our decision making. But doing one day both parks is hard. They mm-hmm. tend to run the rides way faster because they're pushing people through so fast. Some rides broke halfway through, so you miss out on, on some. And uh, in all, we walked 19 miles. That's insane. <laughs> so, so it's possible nice. to do everything you want to do. You just have to be, you have to super commit. Thank Dude. you. Thank you so much for your feedback. It really helped, and I uh, and she attached some photos for us. Cool. First of all, I think we've we've tried to do like with a Google Fit or whatever, you know, the app, and I think we've done like eight one day, and we were dying. I felt like my yes. I felt like my my knees were just bone on bone contact. I was like, I can't do this. Well, that's nineteen. I, I yeah. feel like I've where I've did gotten, you park in San Diego miles <laughs> before? But that's my max, like. Well, and that's when you, I mean, even at eight miles, you have to take the you have to take your ibuprofens before bed, or you're going to wake up and you can't walk. Like literally every day after yeah. Disney, and I wake up and I'm like, yeah. that first those first three steps are like, oh, and like your toes oh. are all cramped going to the bathroom at night. Like it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. Terrible. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that it worked out for you, Mackenzie. And uh, sorry you weren't 21. Yeah, our, our advice would be much better, and 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 you would not hurt as much. Maybe if you were. Maybe later. I think you're missing one of the other very lucky things that happened to her. Mm. Is if Pixar Pier is closed, she (laughs) missed Mickey's Wheel of Death. Well, that is true. true. (laughs) We have uh, a piece of news about that because they had like a press uh, opening day or whatever for that. And so people are talking about, I guess there's some new new things going on. More deathy things. More more deathy stuff. Uh, Here's something interesting before we get into the actual show. So I realized the other day I was in the shower and I realized that I absolutely despise washing my face, whether it's at the sink or in the shower. Like, I actually hate it because you have to close your eyes or you're going to get soap in your eyes. Mm -hmm. And in those, what, 10, 15 seconds, I am terrified that I'm going to open my eyes and there's going to be somebody there ready to attack me. And then... Oh, sorry. Was there more? No, okay. not really. Except yeah. that I think that you almost did that one day. Like I, tried I, I to feel do like it one you're day. kind of starting to do that. Jason does this no. thing where he, well, we both do it, but he, he, we try and scare each other if we walk into a room, 
and the other one's like already in there or something like you walk in quiet and like my thing is I go like this because no, I don't, no I don't, one can see, you have to explain what you're doing yeah, this like, is a podcast um, I know it's so uh, you hold your hands up with like claws like a monster like, like a, a monster. Nosferatu the classic yeah. Nosferatu yeah. or if you're cool the <laughs> werewolf dance from Teen Wolf oh <laughs> yeah. or a bear I see a bear. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. So um, if, if your eyes are closed, though, and you're facing the sink, if you open your eyes, wouldn't you be looking in the mirror? Yeah, and then you see somebody standing behind you. In the shower. Oh, behind. Or, gotcha. or in the shower. She's weird. It's very scary. It is so very scary. So I think the same thing. Somebody in the chat room is saying, didn't you have this sink before? Like, I feel like we've either that or you've been afraid of somebody being behind you in so a mirror or something. I... I thought that too. So maybe this is this is now the thing. Well, it's li- literally clearly you're afraid of closing your eyes and opening them. Well, yes, <laughs> I do think I had this one before, but I checked. So I'm going to blame Matt, okay. who's our historian, okay. our up historian, because I checked. Okay. And it, are you it, saying he's? Are you accusing Matt of not being on the ball and not? Yes. I don't think it was the same. I don't think it involved washing your face. I think it had something to washing do washing your hair, probably, or some weird. No, nonsense. no, it was. Some, it was like. I'm afraid of sleeping because... Wash, looking down at your hands, like when you're washing them and looking up in the mirror. I just remember hmm. you being afraid somebody's going to be behind you. And then Terrence was like, oh, that's my biggest fear. Well, I'm afraid of a lot of things, like taking out the garbage. Like, I always think Freddy Krueger's going to be chasing me back, like, in the dark. Like, I'm actually he really afraid chase of... chase you because you're not sleeping. I know. But right. in my head, it doesn't have to do with dreams. It's just he's there. Just there. No, I get it. Sam is more afraid of skunks taking the garbage out and coming back in because we have skunks in our yard. That's much more valid. So that's, but still, I, I, I pick it up what you're putting down. Brian's very practical. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Taryn. I appreciate that. All right, Brian, let's hit some Disney patent talk, huh? What do you think? All right, I think that would be great. That's Brian's think. So, yeah. so uh, what exactly is a, a, a patent, and, uh, and, and why, why does Disney chase all them all? Uh, so that's a great question, and I think I'll start off talking right. about the three types of, of IP, the three major types, uh, and just go over in a very high level of detail. So the three major types of IP are copyrights, trademarks, and patents. The trademarks uh, are primarily consumer protection. It's something like Walt Disney or Disneyland or Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and the, the point is that if you buy goods with that name, you want to buy goods that actually are made by that company to a certain standard of quality. And the standard of infringement is uh, likelihood of confusion. Right? If I buy Starbucks brand socks, uh, I don't know why you would do such a thing. I would expect they'd come from Seattle, from you know, organic fair trade uh, uh, people happily working away downtown Seattle, yeah. instead of something made by, I don't know, somebody else. Right. So copyright uh, covers creative works. Right? That's art, books, music, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially what it says. It's a copyright. So the standard of infringement is have you copied a substantial chunk of somebody else's work. Uh, and we could spend an hour talking about what does that mean and sampling and hip-hop and, and so forth. Uh, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, just uh, uh, Google Steamboat Willie and copyright, uh-huh. and you'll keep yourself entertained for about a full day uh, <laughs> with everyone's opinion about uh, copyright term and what copyright means and so forth. So that that could be an entire show itself, but we won't uh, get that far today. Wow. So uh, Patton has to do with inventions. Okay. It can also be designed. So you talked about your Covier's patent. So mm-hmm. that was a, a design patent. It's a little more like a trademark or a copyright, and that's based on a particular design. That's okay. why it's called the design patent, and right. that's, that's defined by the drawings. Most patents are 
defined by the claims, and I'll talk about that in a, in a second. Okay. What a patent is, it's just an exclusive right to make, use, or sell something in a given country. U.S. patent, you, know, you have exclusive right to make, use, or sell in the, the U.S. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of like if you own a house. If you own a house, you don't have to live in it. You never have to practice the subject matter of your patent. But if someone's squatting in your house, even if you don't live there, you can call the sheriff and get them evicted. So you can come up with, a, I have a patent for a, <clears throat> a better door lock or whatever. And you never have to actually make it or sell it or whatever, right. but you have the design, you have the idea, you write it out, write it out and draw it in, in, in detail, and you submit it, and you pay for all the things, and you wait the 12 years or I don't know, whatever. And then you get the thing. You're, you still own the patent for it. You don't actually have That's to correct. use it. Okay. And that usually comes up in a case where some entity goes bankrupt and you buy the patent from somebody just because you want to have the ability to license. Again, beyond the, right. our, our discussion today. Okay. So what does a patent actually look like? So a patent has a cover page that has all of the administrative details, the title, the inventor, uh, filing date, issue date, uh, representative figure, things like that. You can learn a lot just by looking at the cover page mm -hmm. of any U.S. patent. It has some figures, which that's pretty self-explanatory what those are. Uh, you the start, drawings? Exactly. Okay. Uh, you only have to have one. You know, some people have 100, some have two. You know, it depends on the complexity of what you're, you're doing. Yeah. And then the text begins. Uh, and the text always starts at the background, and it's a little description of what was in the prior art, what have people done, bef did, what have people done before. And it gives you, uh, lets you set the stage for how to differentiate what your invention is. Okay. Uh, then there's a summary, which is a, a brief description, a little preview of what's, what your invention is. Uh, and then the specification. Specification is the biggest part. It's a lot of text. Uh, it tends to be written in a very uh, pedantic and obtuse way. Really um, and that's I what I specialize I, in. That's what I do. Uh, pedantic and obtuse. Yeah. I, I remember with, with Covier's, we got rejected, not rejected, but there were notes a few times about the drawings. And it's like, it, they're, they're two pieces of fabric in a sort of, you know, 300 degree angle or whatever, like almost like a semicircle. And, but they wanted a top down view and then a bottom up view. And it's like, but it's, it's a, it's a, I don't understand. So you have to be super detailed but I think also maybe general in a way that where you can kind of claim a certain swath of, of uh, you know what I mean? Like so somebody exactly else doesn't right. come in and say, oh, well, we have something that's sort of similar, but you haven't properly defined what it is. And so now we can do whatever we want to do. That's exactly right. In the right. specifications where you say things like, well, it's a motorcycle and in some embodiments it has two wheels and some embodiments it might have more wheels and you might. So you always want to describe it as mm -hmm. broadly as possible, and you'll claim it maybe a little narrower, uh, okay. depending what the prior art is. Right. So the specification, essentially what they call the patent bargain, is you describe to people how to make your invention. That's the spec. Uh, and that's why you get 20 years of patent term from the date you, you file, is you've explained to people, here's how to do this cool new thing. You then have 20 years of exclusivity. And then after that 20 years, anybody can go and, and do that. So that, that's the idea be behind that. So we talked about the claims. The claims are at the very end. They're uh, numbered. You get 20 with your filing fee. Uh, and if you want to talk about arcane and obtuse, these things are uh, uh, essentially 200 years of legal precedent as to why you have to write these things in a way that seems like they dropped out of the sky from Venus. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if you're claiming your, your motorcycle, so you might have your, I write down, a, a vehicle 
comprising a rigid frame with at least two wheels rotatably coupled there, too. Wow. Whomst, whomst ever shall... Uh, been that's okay. All right, okay. <laughs> Good effort. Yeah. Wherein at least one said wheel is inflatable, and at least one said wheel is composed of a rubber uh, composite. Uh, so it, it's uh, they're they're complicated. They're not always really easy to read. And no, it sounds like you have to learn a different language. It's almost like Latin. It's like the English version of Latin. <laughs> it, it's not unlike that. Yeah, uh, and that's essentially the first year you're an associate at a law firm and you're doing this stuff. That's the thing you're doing the first year is learning this kind of weird English Latin like, for to write jargon. the claims. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very jargony. So uh, how does a company like Disney, mm-hmm. who has you know thousands of these patents, how do they decide what they're going to spend the money on actually patenting? Uh, because life cycle cost is not cheap. I'll get a little bit closer to the mic here. That's right. Uh, li- life cycle cost is not cheap. If you're a big company filing a moderate sized patent application, attorney and filing fees are going to be ten to fifteen thousand dollars. You're mm-hmm. going to spend ten to fifteen, ten to twenty thousand dollars during what they call prosecution, where you go back and forth with the patent office, and they'll tell you, "No, your claims aren't allowable. There's prior art, or we don't like how you wrote them. Go fix them." That back and forth, every time you go back and forth, it costs you some money, essentially. Yeah. Uh, And sometimes they're more reasonable than other times, and if they're less reasonable, you have to go back and forth more times. So by the time you get to issue and you pay the issue fee, a company like Disney has dropped easily $25,000 on a single patent application. And then there's maintenance fees later on. Mm -hmm. So over And then foreign filing. You know, if they choose to file in, say, China to cover something on for Shanghai Disneyland or file in Japan, yeah. So your U.S. life cycle cost can easily be thirty five, forty thousand dollars or more, uh, and if you file in multiple countries, you can easily hit six figures. Okay. So there has to be some sort of filter for deciding what to file and what not to file, even if you're Disney and you have essentially infinite money. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> right. So you're going to look at a few things. What's the likelihood you're ever actually going to do anything with that intellectual property? Yeah. Somebody might, some Imagineer might have a great idea, might have a new salad spinner that's going to light the world on fire. I love salad spinners. Can I just <laughs> well, say that? So good. They're amazing. Until, you, until you've actually had a salad that's not soaking wet, <laughs> and you don't know how great those things are. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> but odds are, Disney, even Disneyland is not going to have much interest in something like that. So they'll probably take a pass on filing that. Okay. Because I, I was, I was going to say, would they, uh, considering they have unlimited money, would they uh, just maybe apply for a patent that they know they're not going to use just to prevent somebody else in the theme park industry? Because so, I imagine that's super cutthroat. Are you going to ask Terrence's question? Terrence? Yeah. Go ahead. So Terrence goes, he's in the chat room, by the way. Oh, hi, Terrence. Um, he says, does Disneyland make their patents that they apply for so broad because they're not quite sure what they're going to do with the attraction or to prevent others from doing anything remotely similar. The one that I read from Midway Mania mentioned projectiles being fired from the guns. That didn't happen, but have they prevented others from doing that? Uh, yeah, you want to accomplish both goals, right? Yeah. You want to. You don't always know when you file something. It can take five years to go from a filing to issue. Mm. And you often file applications very early in the process. If you get excited about a, a project you'll have some very early concepts and go file on on those. Those concepts don't always make it to the time that a patent issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, And then also you want to make things as broad as possible to keep other people 
uh, from, from practicing that. Going back to the salad spinner example, probably the having the dry salad isn't the reason why you're going to Disneyland instead of Six Flags or Knott's Berry Farm. Right. Uh, so again, even... Let's be honest. If the food was the reason we picked our parks, we'd be going to Knott's Berry Farm for the fried chicken. <laughs> can I, can I confess that. something? Yes. I've been to Knott's Berry Farm before. I don't believe I've ever had the fried chicken. Wow. Neither have I. So... I was just trying yeah, to be cool. That was just a dumb thing to say. No, because it, it's it's it, the, the, the. Have you ever had the Disneyland fried chicken? No. Yeah, because it's good. Don't but the Knott's Berry Farm fried chicken right. is to Knott's Berry Farm what the churro is to Disneyland. It's, is it? It's, yeah. I didn't Honestly, know. it is. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't know that Sorry, no. Taryn, you're muted. <laughs> it's probably better that way. I was dreaming. And Terrence, I don't believe I've ever had a churro at Disneyland, which I need what? to remedy. Okay. Brian is gone from the show now. He's at... <laughs> I'll be here on no more. Uh, that's... In November, promise me you're going to have a churro. And not the not the janky, like, watermelon-flavored churro oh, from downtown Disney, ew. but, like, the actual... Like, go into the park, into Tomorrowland or whatever, and get a friggin' churro, man. What's wrong with you? I may even take the churro challenge. Oh, my God. Oh, please do, do it. that. You know, but I, not the one that not, Disney stole from us. Yeah, no, our <laughs> churro challenge. Right. Well, like, I would never take any challenge. You're going to pull the years a up. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, go ahead, please, Brian. Sorry. So uh, a few other reasons to uh, to apply for patents. Disney's going to look at, is something a blocking patent? Mm-hmm. Just something that another theme park or another company might be doing. Okay. Now, these generally you don't file something specifically for that reason because down that path lies madness. Right. You, okay. don't, you don't know what everyone else is doing. You don't right. have necessarily a lot of details. Uh, but if you think you have some information, you think you might be able to stop someone, you can file a blocking patent. And the advantage is you can go back later on and negotiate a license with someone and extract some value from, from that. It's okay. not, not, in my view, generally a good reason to file anything. Right. Uh, is it something that's better kept as a trade secret? Now, trade secret is... Kind of like a patent, except you don't have to pay any money for it. You just keep it secret. That sounds great, right? Because there's no term. It's indefinite, like the, like the formula for Coca-Cola. It can last for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, and that's great, except that NDAs aren't always followed by everyone. Uh, you don't always have a good control mm. over your – as good a control over your IP as you think. Mm-hmm. And in, in 2018, when everybody has a cell phone with a camera – and people can get disgruntled, um, it becomes really difficult to keep things as trade secrets. So like a, a trade secret, so if somebody breaks their NDA and gives the secret, then it's all over. I mean, there's no, there's no going back from that, yeah, really. You can go back and recoup, try to recoup from someone that broke their NDA. But let's say you've got you know a multi-million dollar trade secret and somebody's making eighty thousand dollars a year broke their NDA. What are you what are you going to do? Right, you're going to garnish their wages. I mean, you can, <laughs> yeah, but you'll that's more vindictive. You'll never get the money out and still your yeah. secrets out. Yeah. So like if Coca Cola's recipe got out, it's out. Right. And how, where, where you people end up doing that is more SpaceX notoriously mm. uh, because they have total control end to end of everything from the factory to the launch pad, and it never leaves their hands. Uh, you know, Elon Musk famously declared that you know he doesn't file for patents on anything. He has no desire to teach the Chinese or anybody else how to go out and make it. Uh, but you know, which is kind true, of, you, which and, is valid. I and that's think kind of what some, I said yeah. before, like the patent bargain, right? So you, you, the point is, you do teach people how to make it, but you have those twenty years. But you know, SpaceX is kind of uniquely positioned where they have that total end-to-end control. It's different from really anything Disney would be be doing. Uh, and then, kind of the last factor is where are you going to file? 
and that comes down to where are you going to use the invention, where are you going to manufacture the invention, where are your competitors going to manufacture or use the, the invention. Okay. So that's kind of the factors that Disney would look at. Okay. So having, Which is all background, all good background yeah. stuff for this. Yeah. So having having done all that and probably you know, spent a little bit more time than everybody probably would like, <laughs> uh, how do you search for patents? And I'm bringing this up because if you want to play along at home uh, and you're listening live, this might be a, a fun way to play along at home. Yeah. Or if you're listening later on, you can uh, pause this and go check this out. Patents.google.com. Probably your best oh, wow. bet. Wow. Really? Patents.google.com. Oh, Google, man. Just Tell type me. in that number. Or uh, also you can uh, uh, go to an advanced search and just type in Disney for the assignee. And assignee is the fancy word for the, the owner. Okay. Huh. Uh, and then you can just pull up you know, thousands of Disney patents and patent applications. USPTO.gov is the official government site. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's good, but it's not... Um, it's not as intuitive to use, and it doesn't let you generate PDFs uh, automatically like Google does. Mm-hmm. So it's a, mm. the patents.google.com is slightly more user-friendly. Weird. I would never have guessed <laughs> that the government website, <laughs> the government version of the thing is not good, and Google somehow made it better and easier for everybody to use. Purportedly, the patent office is going to be rolling out a new website, new interface this year. Yeah. And frankly, it terrifies me because I'm used to how it works, <laughs> right. uh, and I'm old, and it's yeah. one of these things where I'm like, I've, I've got it figured out already. No, it's, yeah. it's cumbersome, but I know how to do it. Let's not do new stuff. So uh, probably for everyone else, it'll be a little bit easier. Your virtual so. lawn. Weren't you telling me when we were going through our, our patent uh, stuff for covers um, that the patent office is the only arm of the government that generates money? It is about the, as far as I know, the only part of the federal government that raises more money than it spends. Wow. Uh, and that's because, you know, it's pretty much pay as you go. Yeah. You file, you pay. You respond to office actions, you pay. You extend time to respond, you pay. You appeal, you pay. Um, as probably as it should be. I mean, nobody, you're, you're asking for a, a 20-year monopoly on something, and they're not going to give that to you for free. Right. Uh, True. But it's probably... I, I couldn't tell you the numbers. Probably on the order of a billion dollars a year surplus they generate. Wow! Wow! So it's uh, it's not bad. Okay. I guess they'll take some of that money and upgrade that uh, internet uh, system. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Mm. So Disney has um, what I'm going to talk about are a few patents that were some cool things I found. Uh, sort of some trends in technology over time. Okay. And kind of what Disney had an interest in in any given time. Perfect, and this is this is perfect stuff to talk about on the show because yeah. we like we like how Disney merges the tech but doesn't show you the tech. Right. They 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 develop these rides and they develop these systems and they develop all the stuff, but you don't know what's happening. And right. I think to give a, a, a broader view of actually what's happening and and uh, and that it's purposeful and driven and and owned <laughs> by Disney, uh, I think it's really cool. So anyway, sorry. Oh, thank you. So the first Disney patent that I could find is US-1913048. It is a method and means for scoring motion pictures. It's filed in 1928, issued in 1933, which for the time was an exceptionally long time. It's Yeah, right. Back in the 20s, you'd file, and in a year or two, you would, would issue. And it was only my lack of desire to spend a few hundred dollars for the file history uh, is why I didn't go back and look into why that was. Because okay. I was really curious what, what happened. That maybe at some point in the future, I'll just you know, go ahead and you know, grip my teeth and just spend because. that money. Just because I'm, I'm curious. 
Uh, but for now, yeah, we're not we're not doing that. <laughs> right. That is that is strange because it's not like there were a bunch of existing drawings or any sort of you know existing patents that they might be infringing upon or whatever. It's not like today. Where I'm sure it's an exhaustive search of, of well, you think about it from all, you know, that, that uh, almost 100 years, you know, from 1920. So, the, the volume um, is so much higher. Patent yeah. 10 million just issued oh, uh, on wow. this past Tuesday. And Do you know, what it, you, you know what it was, don't you? It was a Raytheon patent for, I believe, autonomous vehicles. <laughs> I knew you would know. What's Raytheon? I, it's a big company in, like, Minneapolis. Oh. Uh, yeah. but I read the press release. Yeah, but, like uh, Harry Potter. Okay, cool. You go to their the patent office <laughs> no. has like a website for this, and if you check, I mean, the time between every million patents just gets faster and faster and faster. Okay, every every million. Wow. I mean, nine million was only maybe ten years ago, less than ten wow. years ago. But to go from zero to a million took over a hundred years. Yeah, and from a million <laughs> to two million was decades. So it just gets faster and faster. <laughs> and and part of it is just it's a much more global world we live in and people invent things all over yeah so people do people from wherever in the world will what is to them foreign file in the u.s so just the more filing that you have and the more filing you have in the u.s the faster that that curve goes up so uh this this was a very uh, interesting patent to me it's an analog method for synchronizing sound and motion for a quote cartoon picture so you would draw dots by hand in the sprocket area of the film okay. to indicate beats. And huh. it would allow this, allows the score to sync up with the motion. And the patent says is to vi- it visually imparts to the musicians the required tempo. Now, I don't fully understand that because if the dots are in the sprocket area... How, how do they see it when it's... See this. You know, here's some dots in the sprocket area. How uh-huh. are you seeing that the sprocket area is specifically a thing that you you don't see? I wonder if it's when the, maybe when the composer's writing. We need like Jeremy or James Bond to comment <laughs> on. The, maybe it's when 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 yeah. the composer's yeah. doing the the work. Maybe they're looking at the film so they can see they can just see the dots like the 24 frames or the 30 frames or whatever frame per second is uh, is animation, um, and then. They can gauge off of, off of that, and then run it through at full speed and see how it sounds. And I, yeah, I don't know. That's very interesting. And the next hmm. one covers a little bit of that. But if Jeremy from Spectro, if you're on the ch- in the chat room, please <laughs> call in. He's probably he in like Europe yeah, or he's, something. He's on. He's he, gallivanting somewhere. I think he's flying to the moon right now, <laughs> doing jock stuff. <laughs> he's total jock right now. <laughs> so what I thought was interesting is Roy was born in 1893. So he was I didn't realize how wow. old Roy Disney was. So he was he was forty when this issued. It issued in thirty three. Snow White was in thirty seven. Mm-hmm. So you could tell they were kind of thinking ahead a little bit mm-hmm. about how do we sync up the sound and the animation. Because yeah. Snow Ri- okay, Snow White, yeah. like the songs, they're right on. Yeah. Right? There's no you know, it's, it's not like some slop from TV from even the 70s <laughs> where nobody cared and there was right. no real – this is real synchronizations. They were thinking about that. Yeah, uh, animation on beats of the music and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Exactly. So another uh, – Walt Disney's well, first patent. And I'm s- sorry to, to interrupt, no. but I wonder if it, it, if it also helps the animators – also, to draw on no the doubt. beats to make sure that the bird lands on the upbeat or whatever, right? Uh, I, I wonder if it's more for that. I wonder. I wonder if they have it's entirely the, possible. I wonder if they have the the composing the the the, the piece 
And then they put the dots for the animated, but that wouldn't make sense because it needs to be on the... F- anyway. There's no reason you couldn't go... You, you couldn't go, go the other way. Backwards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. So Walt Disney's first patent is related to this similar technology. Uh, it was issued the same year in 1933, but it was filed in 31. Mm-hmm. And co-inventors were Wilfred Jackson and William Garrity. William Garrity is a Disney legend. Uh, he uh, invented uh, a couple of other things, you know, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, it's worth looking at his Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, last name is Garrity, G-A-R-I-T-Y, uh, because there's a link in his Wikipedia page for an uh, article in Journal of Society of Motion Picture Engineers uh, about experiences in road showing Walt Disney's Fantasia, where he's got a photo of all this equipment set up in the historic Carthay Circle Theater in Hollywood. Oh, there you go. Which I never knew was like a real place. I just assumed <laughs> it was a Disney place. So yeah. if you like Carthay, uh, you know, his Wikipedia page is fascinating. Um, so this is you know, Walt Disney, Wilfred Jackson, William Garrity. It's uh, patent 1941341. Uh, method and apparatus for synchronizing photo plays. Uh, figure three is fun. Uh, it's got Mickey Mouse playing the piano. It's round-eyed and not pie-eyed Mickey. Oh. FYI. <laughs> Interesting. Kind of like the patent for the toilet paper where it shows that it should come down from the top. That should stop all arguments. Really, any oh, argument about really? round versus pie-eyed Mickey, go back. What a Walt patent you know, having his patent application. He had round-eyed Mickey. Thank Interesting. you. There's round-eyed yeah. Mickey. All right. Uh, but that could also be like uh, the the um, the special edition of Star Wars, where Lucas thinks that that's the superior, <laughs> oh, even that's though everybody true. knows that it's not uh, the the what the the what edition it's, of Star uh, Wars. It's a, it's a it's a internet. It's a it's a creepy pasta. I read on yeah, Reddit. It's, 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 it's weird. A, it's it's like Alien Three. It's a thing people talk about. It doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Um, like uh, Indiana Jones, the last one. The cr- the crystal skull. Yeah, yeah. it didn't happen. Never saw. I, it. I like that. Oh God, Shar! My my daughter loves that too. So we actually like that one quite a bit. So oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Uh, we all like different things. This, this has similar dots as the previous patent in the sprocket area, but this is an invention that includes a photo cell which detects the location and then detects the tempo. So this let this is the kind of the second part of this. So the first invention was sort of figuring out how to encode the tempo, and this right. backs out that encoding into something useful. Uh, so this is hilarious. The tempo is communicated to musicians by headphones, flashing <laughs> lights, or a solenoid that would, quote, strike the musician. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. I don't know where it would strike the musician or yeah, how. Right strike the yeah. floor, you dummy. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it's... Just a, such a hilarious Hit him thing. Hit the butt on the seat. <laughs> yeah. I, were, were they mad at the musicians at this time? Was I don't understand what that's that's all about. What year was it? Uh, this was an, also uh, issued 1933. Is it me, or did anybody else find it weird that there were headphones in 1933? Uh Huh. I think that's weird. I don't know why. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. it's a good point. I'm sure they were big and clunky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just Heavy. literally two speakers <laughs> attached with a ribbon. Let me tie these on. Sit between them. You know, they don't really attach. No. Uh. <laughs> so, fun trivia nobody cares about but me. This was filed by the old law firm of Lion & Lion. Mm-hmm. which I was an associate at when I first started Really? Practicing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and wow. It was, it, it, in, the, in the lobby of the firm in downtown L.A., mm-hmm. there were 
you know, big plaques of these famous patents because we had done some Walt Disney patents back in the day. Uh, Hedy Lamarr's spread spectrum, you know, World War II thing. That That's we, Hedley. Uh, it was actually Hedy Lamarr, the actress. Uh, you know, we did, I think, a <laughs> Wright Brothers thing. So it was all oh, these wow. kind of cool things that had, and sadly, the firm is no longer with us. Oh, man. That's just how, how life goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Garrity also invented the multiplane camera for animation. Okay. And I think you guys have yeah, probably talked that. about this in that's the past. At the, that's at the Walt Disney, Walt Family, Disney Museum. Family Museum. Yeah, or that's what, a no, big one. What, no, it was... That's yes, supposed to be at yes. the Family Museum. Because you can yeah. see it from the top floor, and the, like it's giant. Yeah, it's I wouldn't huge. know. I've never been there. Well, well, we keep trying to plan a family know, trip, and you always go, well, I don't know. I might be getting a pedicure and then eating Popeyes. <laughs> Who do I submit show ideas to? Oh, wow. Terrence at earsup-podcast.com. <laughs> Terrence, do a, uh, a Disney Family Museum show. Uh, does that count? Sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's listening. He's in the chat room. Sure. Um, so this is kind of a fascinating device. It's US-219-8006. It's issued in 1940. So what this did that was revolutionary was this, this big contraption, as Tarim was saying. Uh, it had three to seven individual planes, so, and they're all flat planes. They're spaced apart from each other. Uh, each of them are horizontal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bev just pulled up on Wikipedia. You look up multiplane camera, and you see how giant the first one of these things was. Uh, because these planes are separated... It lets you light each one of these planes separately. Okay. It lets you move them each separately. So you can decouple foreground and background information uh, and, and motion. You can have a background that just sits there. Mm-hmm. Right? And then if you want to move the, quote, virtual camera, you can move the background. Um, it really allows a lot more flexibility, and it keeps the animators from having to animate in every single cell everything, the background and everything else. It makes the animation process a lot more efficient. What I thought was amazing... And you know, it's 1940, and it's not like it's the distant past, but still, the fact that you're moving these plates with, as the specification calls out, thousandth of an inch accuracy. Wow. And you could sit in these, these gears, wow. and the thing was so precise. You could go, if you want to tweak it a thousandth of an inch, and you're trying, which is important for animation, right? If you're yeah. trying to move, you, you move it a thousandth of an inch, maybe per frame, mm-hmm. then 24 frames, you've moved 24 thou, and that's starting to be an appreciable bit of motion. Yeah. Uh, but that was actually a really cool thing. Uh, yeah, I, it, this just made me realize that we have not been to that Disney Family Museum. We need to actually <laughs> go. It's really cool. And I'll tell you why I really like it, because it's not about Disneyland, per se. It's yeah. literally about Walt Disney and, the, and his family. It's, it's, but obviously, it encompasses Disneyland, but it's very much, it gives you a better, uh, a broader overview right. of, of, of his drive and, and what he was trying to accomplish and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. then, of course, you know, a wall of toys and all this kind of... It was, it's, a neat, it's, a neat, it's a neat place to go. I've, I've wondered why it's in San Francisco. Yeah, that's odd. Uh, Is any tie to the city at all? Or I don't think so. Just the Presidio the, had some space. Tourist <laughs> attraction, like it's a tourist city, and, you know, why not? Yeah. So that's kind of the th- some of the, th- the early animation inventions that I thought were, were interesting and kind of significant. So in the pre-Disneyland period, there are a couple of, I think, clever, kind of more minor things, but still very clever. Uh, U.S. 2280988 okay. was issued 1942 during the war. Uh, so invented by Mary Weiser in the ink and paint, paint department. You should bing her. Uh, or Google her or do some such thing. She's really <laughs> fascinating. She's had an, in- had an interesting life, and had, her story, I think, is, quite, uh, is, is pretty cool. So she invented this pencil composition specifically for animation cells. 
So what this was was kind of a grease pencil. Mm-hmm. They had wax and a solvent that reacted with cellulose, a plasticizing agent, and a binder, all in very specific ratio or bands of a ratio. Mm-hmm. So why, why is this kind of cool? Well, the binder holds the wax and the pencil together. The solvent holds the wax onto the cell. Mm-hmm. So it dissolves a little bit of that cellulose, just enough so the wax can grab on and stay on. Yeah. Uh, and the plasticizing agent keeps the solvent and the pencil from evaporating. So it was really kind of cool how you huh. have these four things that you can then have it be shelf-stable, leave it out on your table. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't evaporate or melt or burn up or something. And you can just pick it up and, and color with things. So it lets you draw more, more effectively. Okay. Um, and this is what allowed, you know, if, if you do some Google searching on this, uh, this pencil composition was one of the, the factors in allowing for some of the darker colors to show up in animation. And, and Mary Weiser was one of the, I think she was involved or may have produced one of the early Disney shorts, which was revolutionary in that it had a lot of darker, more subtle colors as opposed to, you know, bright, let's have some red and yellow mm. type of, of, okay. of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, she's an interesting person who's worth, worth reading more about. That's cool. Uh, next one is US 2314629. It's a method of creating illusions. Ooh, I like illusions. <laughs> 1943. This is invented by Leonard Pickley. I love that guy. I, I like his name. It's, it's a great name. <laughs> it's a good name. You're never going to forget Leonard Pickley. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a strong name, but it's a good name. It's a name that makes me think I'd like to hang out with this dude and maybe have a sandwich yeah. and chat with, about what he's doing. But not for too long. Is going. Well, no, that's why I said a sandwich. Yeah. Definitely right. not too long. Yeah. Right. You have a sandwich. <laughs> uh, you go. You have a nice glass lunch. of milk. Glass right. of milk. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with, with Bev on this. <laughs> you just go your separate ways and enjoy your life. Right. So um, figure two is really cool. It shows Snow White as seen from the bottom of the well. That scene from Snow White. Okay. So the movie was a few years beforehand. Uh, but it's remember the I'm wishing song where there's ripples in the water as if the camera is under the surface of the I'm wishing. I would start singing it, but I can't yeah, hit that it's note. It's too high. <laughs> oh, just do like me and just sing badly and don't even get close. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it wouldn't be. <laughs> Full disclosure. So it's it's kind of cool because the water is rippling and you know the virtual camera is under the surface and you're looking up at her. Well, how did they do this? They didn't animate the ripple. They had a sheet of glass with a, quote, and this is good patent language, undulatory surface <laughs> Oh, uh, under, a, under the cell. So the undulatory surface is composed of ridges of transparent lacquer. So okay. there's your ripple effect. Right. So you kind of make the ripple with this transparent lacquer, and you just slide it along, or you can move it up and down, and then you have a virtual ripple. Wow. In the water. That's without having neat. to draw it. Very it's, nice. It's simple, but it's really cool. Yeah. So it goes to show that not every invention has to be, you know, a self-driving car or a, a lunar module or something. Things that are, are simple can be really useful and just really clever yeah. on, on their own. Wow, I like that. So in the early Disneyland era, you start to see some patents show up for some rides and some Disneyland things uh, in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, 3003430... Uh, that U.S. patent, invented by Jacob Hamill, is for a boat-guiding apparatus. Which a boat-guiding apparatus, Which okay. I believe is the earliest Disneyland-issued uh, patent. Now, Specifically for the park, not, yes. not the company. Okay. So let's take a guess. What would you think if I said boat-guiding apparatus? What <laughs> ride would you think that would cover? Pirates. 
That's a good guess. Bev, what do you think? Boat guiding apparatus. Yeah. Early days of the park. I'm thinking. Uh, early days of the park. I know because I read the, the thing. The, the boat? The big boat? The cement mixer? That's oh. not a ride. No, the, the big no. ship. Oh, the one that goes around the island? Yeah. In the... Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Thank that's you. a good. That's a good guess. That's a very good guess, Jason. What do you think? I know because I read it. It's true. Yeah. Um, I have another guess. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Small Tim. world. That's a really good guess. That's a good guess as well. Oh, so we'll we'll, we'll tease this a little bit longer. So what this does is it allows a boat coupled to a guide rail to bob in the water. So there's a guide rail under the surface of the water. Uh, the, there's a. Post. Is it the Autopia boats? Terrible. Autopia, Autopia boats? boats? Oh, I think there a, were. A, yeah, there oh, were. Yeah, that's a good Autopia guess. was bad enough. There were speed boats. M- many, oh, many man. an Autopia. Some sort of boat thing. No, it's thing. not. A, I, I don't believe it's Autopia. I can't wait for all the feedback. What is Bev talking about <laughs> Autopia a, boats No, it's a thing. Yeah. So there's there's a guidepost that's in yeah. a sleeve on the boat. Okay. And the, it's vertically slidable in the sleeve to allow the boat to bob okay. while still being coupled to the guide rail. So, so if you, you have a little movement. Like, yeah. So if you imagine kind of like a sleeve on the bottom that holds the boat on mm-hmm. or some wheeled thing, and then a post uh, or a column, like a hollow pipe that comes up, and the boat has a post that goes down a few feet into that pipe, the boat can still bob, but it's not going to come loose from that ah. sort of post. So it, and it lets you bob along while still being guided it. by it. So by it's a, like a, a bracket. It, the thing can slide up and down, yeah. so it's bobbing, but it never separates from the actual John. Right. Got it. So um, I think it's the it's the Jungle Cruise. So ah. here's here's why I think that is. Oh. So the uh, the there's a couple of uh, key sentences. Very few unknowing persons, however, can detect the boat is not being guided by a conventional rudder. The provision of the boat guiding apparatus frees the boat operator from the necessity of steering the boat, and accordingly, he may pay more attention to the safety of his passengers as well as their entertainment. Hmm. Oh, okay. Because it is the only boat ride where the driver is not paying attention to driving the boat. Mark Twain, very serious. If you're ever up there, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's yeah. And that's kind of it. Every other ride doesn't have a boat And they, like, rider. pretend to, like, turn, but... yeah. It, huh. It's like somebody, it's like they even had the idea for the patter when they were coming up with the ride. Right. Like it was part of their, and that to me what's kind of, what's cool about this patent is it gives you some idea about when they were sitting in a room thinking about what rides are we going to have and what are they all going to be like. It's like somebody thought back, I mean, even in that very early, let's draw on the chalkboard what we're thinking about doing. Somebody was thinking, well, what if it was a funny Right, and a guy was entertaining <laughs> yeah. the passengers, and what would that be like? Right. Well, and I think it, this this whole episode actually is a testament to how smart of a businessman or how smart of businessmen they were. Yeah. I think it's actually probably more Roy, um, but I don't know. But that they sitting in that room coming up with these ideas, they're like, let's patent that, let's patent that, let's pat-, you know, like <laughs> like let's just make sure no one else does it. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> like, that's what you got to do. It's it's even, really smart. Even back then, even back then, so yeah, they kind of went through their initial kind of core rides, and to the extent they had some things that were patentable, they went out and, and filed. You got to, you know, three one one four. Was this three three two? Is Matterhorn. A.K.A. Oh. bobsled amusement ride. <laughs> so pretty, pretty literal, pretty exactly. uh, exact, right there. Yeah. It's, uh, imagine if you went to Disneyland and you got in line and it was bobsled amusement ride. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think anybody Sounds would really want to ride that? 
Not so no. much. And I'm surprised people want to write it now, to be honest. But Just because it's all jittery and shakes your tailbone yeah. and uh, you see the Yeti and stuff. Yeah. The Yeti's the good part. Now, that whole, I, uh, I, I love that ride. I loved it when I was a kid, and I love that ride today. Yeah, it's a good ride. It just, it's too, it hurts me. It's, I want to. It's a little too painful. Big. Yeah, I'm too. I'm six five, and it's just cramming in that thing and then getting knocked around. It's it's tough for me. If they could make that a little less painful somehow, yeah, I, it was I would less painful when that. it was the cuddle seats. Yeah, actually, it really was. Yeah, because it wasn't like the rubber hurts. Like, yeah. it like pulls at your skin. Agreed. Right. Thank um, you. I don't know don't about look at that. Me like that. That's that's. I've never had a, a seat pull at my skin before. It sounds like you something. Don't wear it sounds, tops. Like, sounds like something Taryn would be afraid of. I don't want to. Shut I, up. It would, okay. It was also less painful 30 years ago, too. That's so true. Well, there's that, that has also something to do with that. So <laughs> the patent, the drawings are cool because it shows you the mountain and the path of the track in the mountain. Oh, wow. And I think the path is pretty faithful to what the track looks like or is, is in the actual park. Uh, what I thought was kind of cool, I learned the water at the end actually performs some braking function. Mm-hmm. It's not just to get you wet. Right. And I mentioned this to my, my lovely wife Anne the other day as part of my pre- show prep. And I said, you know, I realized I learned this was for braking. She's like, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so just goes, she is the smart one in the family. Right. So that uh, just goes to show that a little more. Uh, what's also kind of cool is, you know, you run across those tires in the middle of the ride that are spinning. Uh-huh, uh, yes. The car runs into. Mm. And I always thought those were, frankly, a little janky for Disneyland. It does seem a little yeah. like Carnival County Fair-ish, for it's sure. It's a little like, why are these good years just here kind of <laughs> spinning you along? Hanging out. <laughs> the, the point is, they're mm-hmm. kind of constant speed. They're running at constant speed. So if you're moving too fast, they slow you down. Mm. And if you're moving too slow, oh, right. they boost you up. Hmm. Um, but they're a little, little janky. And then it's in kind of a few right. I think it's in it's Splash. In, or it's isn't in it? Wheel of Death too. Oh, interesting. How I did is not it in know Wheel that. of Death? You can if you're there when you're waiting in line to get into the swinging gondola. You have to be on that side. Uh, I mean, you might be able to see on the other one. I don't yeah. know. I've never ridden that one. Okay. But there's clearly clear as day. A couple tires just pushing it along. Huh. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I always check the tread. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Let's what would a- you what would you do if there was if there was no tread on there? I mean I'd still ride it, but I'd be like, oh, we don't die. <laughs> I'm gonna die. More it's than, be worse. More than normal. <laughs> right. You just get trapped up there. Right. Or and who doesn't or, want or that? Who doesn't want that? Um, all right, Brian, what's next? All right, what's next is uh, so we're we're about two thirds of the way done here. Uh, next up is the submarine amusement ride. You know what a trend Ooh, in these titles. Bobsled amusement ride. Submarine amusement ride. What if you uh, ride the that ride is also the worst. What if you ride God. the submarine and you're not amused? Then uh, <laughs> you said you're Beverly. Then, yeah, you would be a, you would be a human uh, who went and rode the submarine. Uh, you know, I sorry Disneyland. I don't mean to be down on you, but uh, man, that submarine. It's not that the submarine. The submarine itself is kind of cool. It's the two yes. hours you wait because you can fit like 14 people in that yeah. thing. Oh yeah, well, and the and line the, is, the line is in the shade. It's shaded. So I think that's why a lot, why a lot of people oh. stand in that ride. In, oh, I thought you were, I've been on it for so long, I thought you were being sarcastic. <laughs> it is actually shaded? No, it's actually shaded because okay. it's underneath the monorail station. So oh, that's right. So there's a bunch of shade, but also it's, you know, I don't, I don't like riding that ride because you you're crammed in, you're, you're breathing the, I've the never, test tube. I've never thought that I was a claustrophobic person. I got in that ride and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> well, then I have good news I, for you. I was convinced that we were actually, 
Spoiler alert, you're not actually underwater. <laughs> well, no, you but are. I was convinced. Well, you're underwater. But the whole thing is not underwater. Correct. Right. That's I was convinced correct. we were, and we mm-hmm. were going to sink, and we were going to drown. <laughs> you're going to sink in the tiny pond that you can see the bottom of? But we would be trapped in the tube that would oh, be leaking true. water. All right. Mm-hmm. Good point. All the other people are going to be trying to claw <laughs> just, their way out. And I'm yeah. just sitting there. <laughs> be like that scene in Jaws 3 or whatever, where all the water starts pouring so into the... ridiculous, <laughs> yes. No, you're, that's, that's a Beverly's. Thanks. Uh, Beverly's so, life. Beverly should No, I, I don't, don't entirely disagree with you on that whole thing with the submarine. But that's how effective the illusion is, though, right? Oh, so absolutely. The, yeah. uh, this is U.S. Uh, 3114. 333, which was issued in 1963. Mm-hmm. It's now the Finding Nemo ride. Um, so the drawings are really cool in that it shows the submarine and just how not under the water it is, <laughs> and how much of it sticks up above yeah, the water. I know. Uh, which is, well, <laughs> but that's the, the point is the illusion. So yes. they have the viewing angle out of the windows is very limited, and they build the stuff out at kind of an angle toward the submarine above so you can't oh. see the sky. Right, so it's oh. not just it's not just flat walls. It's not, it's not a incline, straight. right? Right. So if you imagine the submarine is a tube, and imagine it's not sitting in like a rectangular slot, it's sitting in a slot, that, and you're going through a slot where the walls are sort of angled or curved inward, so that no matter where you can see from that window, it looks like you're underwater, even though your head is about at, you know, the top of your head might be at water level. Huh. So it's really pretty fascinating. There's also some interesting mention of how the bottom of the pool, there's some compressed air that's released to generate bubbles, Mm -hmm. which adds to the illusion. So for being a ride that's really just not really anything that special, the special part of that is it really is a convincing illusion that you are under that water. Absolutely. Well, and and I I remember feeling a sense of, um, I don't know, that I... uh, Solved the puzzle when I figured out that you weren't actually all the way underwater. Totally. Which is stupid, <laughs> because if you pay attention to the ride at all, you see the top of the stupid thing going around, the, and you don't understand that, like, like it... it, it what I like about a lot of Disney rides is that they're so segmented in how they work versus you being inside of them, whatever they are. very immersive. No pun intended. Right. Submersive? Anyway. Um, because oh, wow. it's like you see the top floating around. You're like, okay, the sub's not going down, but you don't really understand that. And then you get in the sub, and then you realize that the operator is looking out. The operator is not underwater. Right. You kind of are. Anyway, you, you, once you figure out the generic tricks like that, you just feel kind of cool. Yeah. It's it's the Disney magic. It's the Disney magic. So next up is the Circa-Rama. Which I don't think I've ever heard Circa-Rama. you guys talk about the Circa-Rama. You've pro- you're probably too young to have ever gone to the Circa-Rama. Yeah, I kind of want to now. I'm feeling nostalgic for Circa-Rama. So the Circa-Rama used to be <laughs> in the Astro Blasters building, kind of at the ed- edge of Tomorrowland. Oh. Um, and it was great because on a hot day, it was air-conditioned, it was big, you could just walk in. Uh, there was always room. As I recall, you'd line up and just kind of wander through this line inside the Circa-Rama. It's a theater that had 11 screens. Okay. They were above your head. They were like ten feet up, and they were arranged in a in a circle. This is oh. a there's an this is an Ubiworks invention. Ooh, so, all right. Ub, uh, it's U.S. patent to two nine four two five one six issued in nineteen sixty. So the magic of this. So figure one. I'll at least show you guys because you're in here. You need to look up this this patent because it is hilarious in every way. It, you see this early Google Street View car. <laughs> 
So if you can see, I'll show this. This is get right into the mic. Oh wow! This is an early Google Street View car. Right. There's eleven movie cameras on the top of like a 1956 Family Traveler station wagon. Yeah, they would drive around places. Very this thing is so great station wagon, and the the cameras look like they're like big giant drills or something. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh like, no, they're the like film. Like they actually the, have yeah. the film canisters yeah. attached yes. to the, and That's they're in a funny. circle. Yes. On in the luggage rack, for for lack yep. of a yep. better description. Uh, wow, uh, this is exactly right. And okay. This is also one of the, this is also a thing that I learned. The cameras uh, on that base mm-hmm. are at the Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. Oh, okay. This, and it didn't have to be on the car, right? There were sure. they, think they hung it from an airplane. They would put it on boats. Um, this thing was kind of an early Soren in a way, okay. right? It didn't have all the effects, and it wasn't the the wind. It wasn't nearly as cool. But the idea was you're in the center of this circle of of movies they do that and you're getting a 360 degree effect they, I'm, I'm, i wonder Can- if they do a certain thing the, the canada pavilion yep. in uh, epcot i think it's exactly the same thing because mm-hmm. i just googled circarama because i was like what is this word and that's the thing that comes up okay yeah. interesting so why here's a question yes. why 11 screens or more to the point why huh. an odd number of screens why 11 cameras yeah, why eleven and not ten or eight? Because they, f- I, have no idea. I, I, I would imagine the field of vision, they would measure out how how wide the the camera lens could be while still getting a lot of depth of field, and then figured out where to space the other one so it overlaps just a little bit. It's a good guess. Okay. So uh, the reason why, yeah, why odd and not even, and this is kind of the key innovation of this, is it let you put the projector between adjacent screens. Right. Oh. If they were, if there were an even number of screens, oh. there would be screens opposite each other in the circarama. Mm-hmm. You'd have to project through one screen onto another, and vice versa. And you're going to have it's going to be weird looking in the center, where you send like this super high lumen dot of video of, of movie through to the next screen, and it's also going to darken huh. it. It's going to be bad. This lets you, and the patent has you. Know, there's a it shows the sort of catwalk where the guy can go up and you know maintain the projector. But the projectors are right in between the screens, and they're oriented in a way where you really can't see them. So that's the the illusion that gives you hmm. uh, is that you've got this. It's it, it's got seams, but for the time that it was done, it seems pretty seamless when you're in there looking at that that movie. It's a really huh. smart concept for way back then. Yeah, imagine figuring that out. Oh man! Imagine sitting there getting paid to figure. You that had out. to have started with an even number, and then you get there and you're like, oh no, right. okay, because yeah. like nobody is going to think that eleven. Like that's such a random right. And we'll I, start I, with I guarantee, nine and work up. <laughs> yeah. well, I guarantee that Jason's right with regard to. In general, why eleven and not four uh-huh. or twenty? Right, yeah. it's, it's something to do with your, your depth of field, you have to, right? Width of field and, and all of that. Yeah. Plus, your know, twenty is going to be imp- twenty one would be impractical. <laughs> How do you shove twenty one cameras on that <laughs> ring on top right. of yeah. the station wagon? It's not going to happen. Yeah. So that was I, I thought really uh, really neat, and that was I remember being much younger in the seventies, going to Disneyland in seventy six and seeing that thing, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. So, Jason, here's one for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's uh, US 3554-130. It is the Doom Buggy. Oh, the Ghost Mobile. Mansion, the Ghost Mobile. <laughs> so this thing was uh, was issued in 1971. Okay. Uh, it was invented by Roger Brogy or, or Brogy. I'm not sure how you say that. He's yeah. also a Disney legend who has a Main Street window. Ah. 
uh, and a gentleman named Burt Brundage. We should do that. We should again. do one of those again. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I have one ready to go in uh, my go. Google Documents All somewhere. Right. Nice. Not so, today. And according to my notes, I mentioned that considered the first Imagineer, uh-huh. but did not know which one was considered the. So one of these two guys okay. Okay. is widely considered to be you know, Roger Brogy or uh, Burt Brundage is considered to be the first Imagineer. So. You all right, Bev? You got well, a weird look Roger Brogy face. just sounds familiar. Have we done that one already? <laughs> Pro- probably. <laughs> yeah, he has maybe. a window, and you've probably done him. So the Doom Buggy seems like just this simple little contraption, right? You get in. Yeah, a little clamshell kind of a deal. So there's, um, there's rails the Doom Buggy rides on, mm-hmm. but then there's three contra- control rails. Right. There's a uh, stabilizing rail, a pitch control rail, and an orientation control rail. So there's... Uh, some followers that are attached to the doom buggy to each one of those those rails. And the stabilizing rail is only present in the loading area. So what happens sure. is there's a follower, so when you hit the loading area, that follower that's on the stabilizing rail moves the, the buggy open. So that's what opens it up for oh, you. Oh, the, um, the opens the, the, the front. Of opens it, the front, okay. right, so you can get right. in. And then when you leave the station, the stabilizing rail ends, mm-hmm. which is kind of come, then it comes off the rail. Which is why the thing closes up. Okay. So that that controls that. There's huh. a a pitch control rail, which is what uh, keeps the seat level even when you're going up inclines, and also an orientation control rail, which controls your your spinning. Sorry, I'm not close enough to the mic here. That's right. Controls your uh, rotation, mm-hmm. so it controls what you see. Right. So when you're going from area to area, oh, here's the clock. Oh, now I'm going to rotate and see the ghostly dining room, and they're all. Having their ghostly Halloween or something in that right. the, the big I, I forget my terminology for a haunted mansion. <laughs> You're uh, doing fine, but all that uh, it's fascinating because all that stuff is mechanically programmed into the system with these rails. Right, right. In in 2018, if you built this from scratch, it would be motion control. It would oh, be all God. software. Yeah, you're gonna have stepper motors. You're gonna have just a, a essentially a motor in the bottom, and you're gonna get controlled by software mm-hmm. to where you're gonna go. But this is kind of some analog programming, if you will, about how you're going to have that, that doom buggy that's fascinating. work. Yeah, that's really, that's really neat that yeah. they had to sit there and put these rails in and make sure they were exactly where they wanted them to yeah. be and make sure the car did exactly what it was supposed to do at the exact same time. Yeah. So, huh. so one fascinating thing about this patent to me, it's assigned to WED Enterprises. Okay. Um, and it's big companies often do weird things with IP ownership for a variety of reasons. Uh, it can be tax or accounting, or I, I, I'm i not smart enough to ever figure out the accounting behind some of that. That's what the accountants do, and they can figure <laughs> out who to assign, or what, what to assign to what entity. That's that's their job. That's, okay. that's what they can do. Uh, but it also kind of, it kind of points out that whatever's on the face of the patent as to who owns it, that can change you know, five times, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it doesn't get reprinted every time. And you can look that up online for some of the newer things. You have to go back and search, uh, essentially, in, on paper for the older patents. Uh, in, in practice, what that means is you pay some guy in Virginia to walk over to the patent office and search it for you and then tell you what it, what it was. Okay. Uh, but that's, uh, it's interesting how there is at least one assigned to a wet enterprises. So after we have this sort of bulge of Disneyland patents, so as you get into the 90s, Disney starts to look like a big technology company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the art and the things that they invent start to broaden quite a bit. One of the bizarre things that I found from 1995, uh, it's a one-off, uh, and I wonder if they ever tried this. 
was U.S. Patent 5392735, Marine Mammal Communication Device. <laughs> it's a oh device gosh. for teaching dolphins how to communicate with humans. Huh. And, you know, I've heard stories about this, you know, just in just old wives' tales or whatever. But I had no idea this was actually a Disney patent. I had no idea. But it kind of makes a lot of sense. I think there was a George C. Scott movie about this, like Day of the Dolphin, and there was like a dolphin that they trained to like blow up ships or something. Well, uh, Planet of the Dolphins. I, I would a, watch a movie called Planet of the Dolphins. I would too. It'd be right up there with Wolf Cop. I'll tell you, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll do that double feature with you. That that'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, you are the only other person in the world. Sam, don't uh, lie to me. That crazy. that would be badass. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, let me. Uh, uh, so, um, I think it was a Simpsons episode about the dolphins Probably. talking and it's, revolting, too. But it's yeah. a Simpsons episode for, for everything. Futurama, I think, yeah. is what you mean. Pro- probably I so. Don't know. Anyway. So, there's an arm of Disney called Disney Research, and they're out in, uh, I think they're based in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. that generates a big chunk of IP for Disney now. And you, know, you think, why, why Pittsburgh? Well, there's Carnegie Mellon University. It's a huge engineering school, and it's a great engineering school. And, you know, I guess in California, you don't always think about it so much. But if you're more out east, you know, it is one of the great engineering schools in the U.S. Uh, and they generate a lot of inventions that you wouldn't necessarily expect from Disney. And there are some things that you, know, you guys have talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, you know, AI, big data, you know, LED lighting, robotics, right. drones, Which is VR. really where they're, like, moving. That's where yeah. the whole thing's going, man. Yeah, but it's exactly right. You know, the entertainment applications of this stuff. And a lot of this technology is interesting in that it has applications in the theme park and outside the theme park, uh, which means you've got more opportunities for monetization. Uh, you know, the, the lightsaber, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. You could probably do that in the park and outside the park. And imagine, yeah. what are kids going to pay for a realistic kind of lightsaber that they can a actually VR fight? Thing? A VR yeah. lightsaber. Oh, well, it'll, it'll probably be in that in the Star Wars-themed hotels, for sure. Yeah. You know, definitely in Star Wars land. Yeah. Um, but, I'll yeah. buy one. Oh, for sure. $400 a headset, uh, you know, Star Wars lightsaber, John. Easy. I will be lightsabering every single person in Star Wars land, <laughs> as will everybody else, too, just because. And uh, But that, that'll that be cool. The yeah. sound of... It's going to be deafening. Open up George Lucas like a tauntaun. Uh, I'm not sure. I'd, it's, it's funny, but I'm not sure I'd really get a lot of pleasure from that. Hmm. I would. If I'd watched uh, Phantom Menace first, then maybe that might be a different story. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. On the Senate floor. (laughs) So this is just kind of a quick glimpse, uh, hopefully quick, uh, some of the things that we love about Disney. A little peek behind the curtain. uh, Some of the things that Disney disclosed about some animation technology and some rides and a few other items. So you you have, if you have more interest, look up those numbers uh, in uh, patents.google.com. Read these things for yourself if you're... Uh, sort of a nerd like that about this stuff like I am, you might be entertained by that. Uh, and a little research might give you some cool information for things you can look for next time you're in the parks. So thank Absolutely. you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Appreciate it a lot. Um, let's go. What was that? What are you myself. punching? Oh, actually, Brian. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. We do have. Are you all right, Bev? No. Bev's like throwing tables around. I'm trying to do Taryn's job, and it's it's harder than you would think. You have to get up and move and not trip move. over anything. Too late. <laughs> I already failed. Those are difficult things. They are. Uh, let's do the uh, the seven questions, the ears up seven questions for Brian. Okay. All right. 
Uh, what is your favorite Disney attraction, Brian? It's a good question. I, if off the top of my head, I got to say Space Mountain. That's a pretty solid off the top, dude. Uh, what's your least favorite? And I prefer uh, dark Space Mountain as opposed to light Space Mountain. Oh yeah, for sure. So for sure, least favorite attraction. Yeah. Uh, as much as I've slagged Autopia, I got to say that Storybook Cruise. <laughs> really? Totally. That Storybook Cruise is one more. You wait for an hour plus, <laughs> and you get in, in there the sun. in the sun. You wait. Right. When we took Ruth when she was really little, yeah. we thought, I never see this as cool. I never even saw this. This will be great. And we wait for 90 minutes, and we have an excruciatingly slow ride to look at plants. Exactly. You're looking at and, plants. And it was very castles. Pretty. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, but when it was, we were thinking about, is it worth the 90 minutes we stood in line in the no, heat? No, that, that ride's not worth... Probably not. No, it's not worth 90 minutes, because you can, you can go to... It's not worth 30 minutes. You can go to Home Depot and do the same thing. <laughs> now, see, if I, could, if I could get on there, if I could walk on, do it, and walk off. Yeah. But, yeah, I got to say storybook ride. Mm. Okay. Uh, pie-eyed Mickey or round-eyed Mickey? Round-eyed Mickey. What old ride should they bring back to the parks? The uh, Sky Gondola thing. I agree so much. I, I, got, I, was, I was lucky I had a chance to ride that when I was a little kid. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. I, uh, I have memories of it, yeah. I think. Either that or I'm confusing the memories of those with the memories of the ones at Great America. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super lucky in that my I was born in Southern California mm-hmm. and we lived in Los Alamitos and Seal Beach for, for a while. It wasn't far. At the time, you could get to Disneyland after work pretty quick. Yeah. So... Once every month or two, my dad would take me to Disneyland after work on like a Tuesday night. And we would just go to Fantasyland for like an hour and go home. Yeah. And it was just the most awesome thing. There's some great memories I have with my father and I. Seal Beach is like 20 minutes away from the park or something, I think. In theory. Yeah. Now, today, it's like an hour and a half. (laughs) If there's no traffic, you could get there in 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, But it was was great. I remember remember very clearly being like five years old and riding the Sky Gondola with my dad. That's cool. Uh, What current ride should they remove? They should remove Autopia because mm-hmm. it just takes up so much space. <laughs> they have a lot of land, so there. much room. And I, you know, my my Tomorrowland soapbox is most of Tomorrowland needs to just get removed and redone, with the exception of Space Mountain, because so much of that is just nothing now anyway. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's not Tomorrowland for sure. No, it's re- Retro Futureland might be fun. <laughs> I would go there. Uh, who is your favorite Disney character? Man, there are so many. Uh, I'm not going to get into whether Star Wars or Marvel are part of nope. Disney. We're just going to exclude those. Whatever you want to do, Favorite man. Disney character, yeah. man. Um, or woman. <laughs> yeah, wah, wah. Um, the, I'm, I'm kind of going, how about that uh, Thomas O'Malley from the Aristocats? <laughs> Thomas O'Malley. Okay. By name, too. He has like five other names, and I forget what his five other names are. <laughs> and he loves the ladies. Well, you know, of course. What Thomas O'Malley doesn't. Uh, and then finally, if you could travel back in time and meet Walt Disney, what would you tell him? It's cliche, but don't smoke. Don't smoke. Most popular That's answer. The most popular answer. It's probably the only one. I don't know what else I. What kind of advice could I give Walt Disney? I mean, do something different. I mean, really? Yeah. What, what am I going to tell him to do different that he did badly other than, you know, smoking uh, X packs a day? Right. Uh, let's do a little bit of Disney news here, Brian. You want to stay for that? I would love to. All right, let's do that. Present and future with all the news that's fit to cover. It's the Ears Up Disney News. 
A lot of stuff happening in the Disney World. Uh, no pun intended. Uh. Let's go to this news uh, report, which I'm pretty excited about. It's um, a Star Wars story spinoffs. So future future Star Wars story spinoffs, right? So future spinoffs of the Star Wars franchise are on hold. Good. Right now on Lucasfilm, I believe it's following the poor box office uh, the tanking of- performance of Solo. I liked Solo. I haven't seen it yet, uh, so and I'm reserving all all sort of uh, um, you know feeling about it or opinion about. It. I haven't seen it. I, I've heard it's a fun movie, but I've also heard it's not really the greatest Star Wars movie to ever you know be produced. Uh, sources with knowledge of the situation tell Collider that Lucasfilm has decided to put plans for more Star Wars spinoff movies on hold instead opting to focus their attention on Star Wars Episode Nine and what the next trilogy of Star Wars films will be after that one. Sources tell that the uh, previous, previously rumored Obi-Wan movie was in active development, but those who are working on the film are no longer involved. That kind of sucks. No more job. <clears throat> That's it. It was recently reported that Logan filmmaker James Mangold was in early talks to write and direct the Boba Fett uh, backstory film, but that was before Solo's Release the news comes in wake of the uh, disappointing launch of Solo, which was the only Lucasfilm, um, excuse me, which is only the uh, second Star Wars spinoff, but which received mixed positive reviews and fell short of box office expectations. The film scored eighty four million dollars in opening weekend and has grossed one hundred ninety two point eight million domestically in four weeks. Yeah, that's terrible. What an awful film. It's nothing to scoff at, but far lower than the performance of other Star Wars movies at this benchmark. For comparison's sake, Rogue One opened to $155 million and had grossed $424 million domestic by week four. While Solo did fine by blockbuster standards, it wasn't the event that Lucasfilm expected out of a brand new Star Wars movie. So everything's kind of... Calming down a little bit on the Star Wars front, which I'm okay with and I'm fine with. And we've talked for months about how that's all I really want. Just let's pump the brakes on this a little bit. Let's calm down and, uh, you know, let's not worry about it. No, go ahead. What I hope this means in a bigger sense is I think people are getting tired of prequels. I mean, people are getting tired. People want new stuff, right? There was, um, whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever it is, they want new future things yeah. and there was a, a deal you know, it's not Disney but uh, Alex Kurtzman got a like a five series deal for new Star Trek and one of them is like new next generation with Picard well people <laughs> want to know there hasn't been anything in the future in the Star Trek universe in 25 years it's all been stuff <laughs> in the past yeah and I think people are maybe just getting tired of prequels yeah it's, it's possible yeah for sure um, speaking of box office money, the Disney Pixar movie Incredibles 2 flew to a record-breaking launch of $180 million, easily landing the superhero sequel the best debut of all time for an animated film. That title was previously held by fellow Pixar sequel Finding Dory, which hit $135 million. So that just dominated Finding Dory. And we saw Finding Dory. I thought the movie was terrible. It was. I, it had moments. It had moments, it's that's okay. for sure, yeah. Um, it was uh, It was all right. Overseas, Incredibles 2 collected $51.5 million. Its predecessor, The Incredibles, opened in 2004 with $70 million, the second largest opening at the time for an animated feature, um, which is pretty cool. I don't know. That was really it. it wasn't, I'm not going to read the whole article because I don't really care about it, but uh, I just think it's... 
pretty funny that Solo came out, didn't do very well. Then Incredibles 2 came out and did extraordinarily well. And I wonder if Disney's really sweating the uh, the Star Wars fa- quote-unquote failure of Solo. They're probably just like, oh, maybe we'll just relax a little bit. But they're not, like, no one's going to get fired. Like, um, yeah. what was that movie that, was, that did terribly, uh, John Carter of Mars? That was a Disney movie, right? Oh, it was? It was a Disney movie, and it was... I liked it. I thought it was good. I liked it, but it had serious problems. For sure. It was like, what was like seven books tried to roll into one movie, and that's just, you you can't do that. But it made all its money back. Someone got fired over that. I forget who it was. But it eventually made its money back in in home box office, so... Star Wars, do? you'll always make money on home video. Oh, yeah. Always. The, the, well, Star Wars is always going to make money, but yeah. they were trying too hard, I felt. And I kind of am glad that they got a little bit of a slap in the face. <laughs> a little bit. I agree with that, too. The non-spoiler review of Solo from my wife in like one sentence was the guy who was playing Han Solo was acting too hard. <laughs> ah. Oh, that's always fun. And I didn't notice it so much, but even I noticed it a little bit. He was yeah. acting pretty hard. Yeah, I get that. You want to try real hard. Uh, we kind of always bag on Disney for, uh, you know, throwing out these small sums to charity. Like, they donated $50,000 to Burn Center or whatever. And, and, and meanwhile, they're offering $71 billion for Fox. Yeah. So here's a good story. Disney to donate $100 million to children's hospitals world. Wide. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Nice. It was part of Disney's initiative to donate $100 million worth of magic that is Disney to children's hospitals across the globe over the next five years. This article actually says fire years, which can kind of work, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, the company said it has a five-year plan to support children's hospitals continuing to follow in Walt Disney's footsteps. This is a quote from, I think, Iger. Disney's timeless stories have touched hearts and lifted spirits for generations, and we believe we can bring comfort to children and families going through a very difficult time. Using the powerful combination of our beloved characters and legendary creativity, we're planning to transform the patient experience in children's hospitals around the world. That's nice. That's... Yeah. As part of the changes, Disney will be spearheading the following uh, through its Team of Heroes program, uh, an RFID system that will help patients customize their visit. They will be able to select their favorite characters and that will unlock experiences like enchanted artwork. Wow. That's kind of nice. Treatment and patient rooms will be themed and will offer in-room entertainment. That's awesome. Play carts will be stocked with games and activities. First run Disney movies and shows in both in-room and pop-up theaters. So like you're in the children's hospital here in Oakland or whatever. Maybe you can watch Incredibles 2. That's really sweet. That's very cool. Disney customer experience training for doctors, nurses, and staff. I like that. All right. We're going to do one more here and then we're going to bail out. This is a rumor that I was talking about on the last show, and it's, it's pretty much confirmed now. World of Color at Disney California Adventure will not return until late 2018. Disney is claiming routine maintenance is the reason for the delay, but uh, this person, WDW News Today, our sources are giving us a different story. Apparently, the submerged table that holds all of the show elements, like the fountains and the water screens, has been severely damaged. Which is what I said last show, guys. I'm telling you. I get some I, I get wonder some stuff. how all that stuff can just live underwater and not... Just yeah. erode. Yeah, I saw a photo of it. Actually, uh, uh, I don't know if the person wants me to tell, but uh, someone saw a photo of it. It was like it looked like a giant hole was ripped in the in the scaffolding oh, as they were trying to bring it all up, and so it kind of was just existing and not really doing anything. But wow, whoops. Hmm. Anyway, so that's kind of cool. 
I mean, I guess if you're into I the mean, whole thing. I mean, it kind of sucks, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> they have such hard water in Southern California. I can't believe <laughs> Maybe stuff's that's just not is. scaling. Like you're saying, it lives right. underwater. It's got to something. It's got to happen to it. Yeah. Um, all right, Brian, we're going to end the show now, and I appreciate you very much for coming in and doing the Disney Patent show with us. I thought that was a good time. Thank you. I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Good. Yes. Really very good. Interesting. Come, come yes. back. Well, let's do another one. Sounds great. I liked it. All right. And then uh, today, let's see, in this one right here, <clears throat> today's fact of the show is a quote from Disney that I got from uh, the Disneyland, the first quarter century book, which I love. People who have uh, listened to the show before, they know that. This is a good quote. <clears throat> Why do we have to grow up? I know more adults who have the children's approach to life. They are people who don't give a hang what the Joneses, what the Joneses do. You see them at Disneyland every time you go there. They are not afraid to be delighted with simple pleasures, and they have a degree of contentment with what life has brought. Sometimes it isn't much either. They don't give a hang. They don't give a hang. That's going to be my new, my new cuss phrase. My new <laughs> don't favorite give a cuss hang. phrase. No hangs. Zero hangs given here, bros. Uh, again, thanks to Getaway Today for sponsoring today's episode. Whether you're traveling to Disneyland, Disney World, or beyond, Getaway Today can help book online at getawaytoday.com slash earsup. And until next time, everyone, we will see you in the parks. Music.